Please listen carefully. And now, live from the attic that smells like a basement in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring four left feet performing a tango of trivia, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. Mikey over here. And today we have a special bonus episode, a head of the class bonus episode. Extra stuff. We got a lot of good feedback from our head of the class episodes, yep. which we really appreciate. So we decided to do a bonus one where we're going to talk about our favorite dungeons and or dragons. Dungeons and or dragons. I so <laughs> this isn't really building a party, it just was kind of funny because... It was all based on Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. We're talking about all these characters. We're having too much fun building teams. We didn't want it to end. Yeah. So So a little bit, a little bit extra. So our favorite Dungeons and or Dragons. This is loose. There's really not. I came up with a dungeon and a dragon. Mikey's got some dungeons (laughs) and stuff or some dragons. Yep. Multiples. So this is pretty self-explanatory. We don't need a deep dive on what a, a dragon and or dungeon is. Really? Do you think it is? (laughs) <laughs> well, I do know that Wikipedia... There is, there is though, I'll, I'll tell you what. Okay. There is nerd debate on... Dragons? Dragons, the right dragon. True. Because of the amount of limbs. Yeah, whether it has four legs, hind legs, or yeah, wings, no wings. Yeah, a lot of people have the trouble with the four-legged, winged dragon. Should be two legs, two wings? Yes, because yes. that's how it is in... Nature, I guess. Even though, <laughs> even yes, though, because dragons are natural and they really exist. Even though there's plenty of insects that have wings and multiple legs. I, I could see the debate, and there's definitely room for variation, but I would say that they all still fall under the subclass of dragon. So I do too, and I think <laughs> it's funny when people get bent about things that are fantasy. Yep. So <laughs> it's just... It's 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 funny to me. So if you if you have a favorite type of dragon, when we cause you offense by not referring to that type of dragon, we apologize now. But these are the dragons we like. So yeah, like the <laughs> the Game of Thrones dragons are in the in the show. Yes, are technically correct for some people. Okay, because they have two legs and wings. I could buy that. Seeing the Game of Thrones dragons as the epitome. But as a kid growing up playing Dungeons and Dragons, that's a wyvern and not. It's a dragon kin, yep. technically, that have two legs and wings. So for you, the official would have four legs and wings. Just because Dungeons <laughs> and I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons, it's one of those things. You know, I I like the ending of Return of the Jedi with Yub Nub better than yep. the victory celebration <laughs> one because when I was nine, it was Yub Nub. So <laughs> and Yub Nub is way more fun to say. <laughs> Well, cool. I guess since we're talking about dragons, we'll start with dragons. Or do we start with dungeons? Because that's how the title is. Ah, dragons are cooler than yes. dungeons. I like it. Go ahead, go. Me first? Why okay. Not? Well, then I'll, I'll make some people angry because my dragon, <laughs> uh, you could have, I guess you could call it not a dragon, but I'm ruling it a dragon because he's awesome. And my dragon is Falcor from the Neverending Story. The Neverending Story. Oh, I love it. My favorite. <laughs> So if you don't remember Falcor, Falcor is a giant flying dog. Hooray. And that's why people ha- would probably have 
problems calling him a dragon. I don't know. He kind of seems like always seemed to be like an Eastern dragon. True. They, they, his official title, according to lore about Neverending Story, is that he's a luck dragon, which yeah. comes from the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And they're long, sort of snake-like. The limbs are very tall and almost more lizard-like than anything yeah. else. But he actually doesn't have wings, and his face does have a big dog muzzle. Like, he does have a big, adorable dog face and puppy dog eyes. So. But a lot of the Chinese dragons are drawn that way. True. So Very lioness or canine. If, yeah, I think if someone has a problem with that, <laughs> then they just have a problem with stuff. I agree. So Falcor is my favorite just because he was my friend growing up. He was... <laughs> he was your friend? Oh, for sure, just like he is in Were the Were you in an attic eating an apple, reading yeah. a book? That was me, to a T, wishing, oh, I wish I could save these worlds that I'm reading about. That's why the movie had such an impact, because a kid basically dives into a book and becomes the hero. Uh if 13-year-old me could do that, it would have been a blast. But Falcor is a luck dragon, and he shows up exactly when he needs to. Mm-hmm. So sort of knows when to be where he needs to be. That's awesome. And then he has the quote from the movie. He says, having a luck dragon is the only way to go on a quest. Never give up, and good luck will find you. If that's not a good dragon motto, I'm not sure what <laughs> is. So me and Falcor, buddies for, for all of our quests. Man. Nevering, do you know how did the Nevering story do well in the theaters when it came out? I, it has a following now, but well, I, I know. yeah, I don't. I know. loved it. I remember when. What year did that come out? Eighty three. Let me see if I have that in my notes. I may not, but yeah, it's an eighties movie. I can look that up real quick. But I think I saw it after the fact, like on video. I don't think I ever saw any theater promotion for it or any like movie theater billboards or anything like that. Well, that's why I want to know because I think I saw it in the theater and I think I might have seen it multiple times in the theater. Never Ending Story debuted 1984. So I was 10 years old around then. So that wasn't the era when I was riding my bicycle (laughs) over to the theater and watching movies myself. Yep. So I wonder... If that was just one of those ones where I got taken to the movies more than once and that and saw it. It's possible. Did you ever do the do you ever do the thing where you'd like go to the movies with friends, you'd be like over a friend's house yep. and your their his his mom, well his for me, <laughs> would take you to the movies. As a group, yeah. Yeah. And then just drop you off and then you'd call and tell everyone to pick you up kind of thing? So, well, yeah, just they take you to the movies, and then that way you'd end up seeing the same movie more than once in the theater. Oh, yeah, because if, yeah, if your friends were going and you just happened to be hanging out, be like, I'll see you again. Okay. Yeah. I think Never Ending Story might have been one of those, because I, I really remember seeing it in the theater more than once. Right on. And I also remember seeing it on video multiple times, too. I like that movie a lot as I, well. I think I did that for Aladdin, because I think I saw Aladdin in the theater and loved it so much that any time I was hanging out with friends, they were like, hey, do you want to go to a movie? I was like, yeah, let's go see Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great movie. I really like that one. Oh, one of my favorites. On repeat. That's why I know Falcor so well, and I want to hang out with him real bad, because he, he was a main part of that movie. He made it for me. So when we came up with this idea, one thing popped straight into my head as far as a dragon. Yep. And I immediately thought, Tiamat. Tiamat? Now, I'm not talking about the Babylonian primordial goddess of salt, <laughs> the salt sea. That's the one I'm familiar with, to be fair. <laughs> I'm talking about the Dungeons and Dragons entity, monster. Oh, yeah, the classic. So I was introduced to Tiamat, like many kids, from a show that started in this way. (laughs) Hey, look, a Dungeons and Dragons ride. 
It was the 1983 to 1985 Saturday morning cartoon, yes. Dungeons and Dragons. So, it but was, that wait, you're saying that show started off with them going on a Dungeons and Dragons roller coaster ride? It was like kind of like a funhouse ride. Oh, okay. And they go through it. It looked like an awesome ride. I wish that ride really existed. And they go in the Dungeons and Dragons ride, and it transports them into this land of Dungeons and Dragons. A fantasy land. It's really fun. If if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, just Google the intro. Yep. Look for it on YouTube. It explains the entire show. It's one of those things that I love how they used to do this back then. <laughs> the entire show is explained in the intro. You'd never have to watch any more of the show. Yeah. It's all explained in the intro. Because that was their one time to get your attention. There wasn't the internet or like TV guide really. It was like, here's the show. You're watching it now for the first run. We got to get all the info you need right up front. Yeah. And I think they might have done that too because... They didn't want you switching over to one of the other three channels. Oh, there That's you go. how old I was. <laughs> but back then, because all the Saturday morning cartoons were competing with each other. That's true. So they had, to, they had to grab you up front so you didn't switch over to Snorks or whatever. That's probably much later. But <laughs> Snorks is just a Smurfs ripoff anyway. That's just the first one. I should have said Smurfs. Why did I say Snorks? Anyway, so, so Tiamat is one of uh, the villains of this Dungeons and Dragons show. Okay. Tiamat is a five-headed evil dragon. Ooh, a Hydra. And not a Hydra, really. Oh, okay. Sort of, I guess. That's, maybe. Just, that's just my connecting term. Yeah. Uh, technically, it's a she, and Ooh. she is a five-headed chromatic dragon. She is the mother of all evil dragons. The mother of dragons. The mother of dragons. Ooh. In Dungeons & Dragons. She's been around since the first edition Monster Manual in 1977. Okay, so she's not from the show. She's actually from the D&D books. Hell right. And so Tiamat is supposed to rule the first plane of the nine hells where she <laughs> spawns all of evil dragon kind. Tiamat, the chromatic dragon, queen of evil dragon kind. That's pretty rad for a, for a backstory. So it's, it's So she's got five heads. And you keep saying chromatic. Is that like important or does that mean something? Chromatic is the colored dragons. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Black, blue, green, red, white. Those are the evil dragons in Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. And each one has different properties and they each have a different breath weapon. Oh, so, okay. So the black dragon shoots acid. Yes. The blue dragon shoots lightning. One of my favorites. Okay. The green dragon shoots out a cloud of chlorine gas. So it's like the World War One <laughs> Mustard gas. <laughs> mustard kind of, mustard something, gas dragon. Something like that. Uh, the red dragon's the classic fire-breathing dragon. The best. And the white dragon is a cold-breathing dragon. I was going to say that should have been blue, but white makes sense, too, as a frost dragon. So, and Tiamat has all those heads. So Combined into one body. Into one body, so she can use all those breath weapons. Crazy. So Tiamat was often used in the show as a, a way for, even though she was troublesome, mm -hmm. uh, she was more like an animal, even though in the books and stuff, she's basically a goddess. Yeah, that's how and, it sounds and from is her a, is a little more intelligent. In the show, they basically used Tiamat a lot of times to get out of trouble because Tiamat was the arch enemy of their enemy. Oh, okay. So Venger was their main enemy, and he was a cool-looking demon-looking character guy. Okay. With, like, one horn instead of two. But 
He was pretty neat. He had the voice that I wanted Skeletor to have. <laughs> he sounded evil. <laughs> he sounded evil. You know, he was a bad guy. Yeah. But a lot of times what would happen is is they could never beat Venger on their own, and they would come up with some crazy way to get Tiamat involved so they would start fighting each other so they can run away. Gotcha. It seemed it was very tropey, the, so, sh- the show. The, the Tiamat was almost treated like deus ex machina, sort of, this is the solution that's going to happen. Okay. So that's where I was introduced to Tiamat, and I've always just been, I always just thought Tiamat was neat. Yeah. The And it also, too, because of the way Tiamat was in the show, Tiamat was more, like I said, more of an animal. It was more of like just a problem mm-hmm. that just this dangerous <laughs> dragon that they had to make sure that they didn't wrangle with too much. It wasn't so much that she was evil. She was just out of control. There you go. It was almost Godzilla-like. You I, know what I mean? Just yeah. Godzilla's going to come and knock down the town, but <laughs> you can use him for good if you have the right little child to make friends with him. That's, yeah, that's it's awesome. It's almost that type of thing, so... <laughs> <laughs> plus, plus five heads with five different powers. It's hard to get cooler than that. So I think later when we're talking about something, that, well, I think later we should actually talk about this Dungeons & Dragons show in length. Okay. We might do a pod about it. It'll, it'll be fun. I'll have to watch some episodes. Yeah, I have it on DVD. I'll give it to you, so Hell it's yeah. fun. But the neat thing about uh, Tiamat, too, is if you look Tiamat up, a lot there's a lot of cosplayers who cosplay as Tiamat because... I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of times dragons are can manifest themselves in like a human form. Mm-hmm. I can see that, and especially gods and goddesses can yeah. make avatars. Yep. So Tiamat manifests herself as a raven-haired sorceress, who's kind of in a black chainmail bikini. Nice. Very fetching looking if you want to Google image that. Hey, very old school D&D too. So there's a few cosplayers out there who have cosplayed Tiamat as the sorceress and they wear like a backpack that has the heads coming out of it. It's really cool looking stuff. That's pretty smart. With with the way the nerds are today though, somebody's got to come up with that backpack Tiamat head that like sprays different colored smoke. (laughs) That'd be great. But just along the lines of your dragon as an animal and coming to town and wrecking things, that does remind me of my close runner-up on dragons, which was uh, Sean Connery from Dragonheart. Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery. Because that's the basic. That's basically the entire premise of that movie, Dragonheart. One, it's a classic dragon. Big mm-hmm. head, four legs, two wings, voiced by Sean Connery. If that's not a dragon <laughs> voice, I don't know who is. Sure, Benedict Cumberbatch did a good job, but... Come on, Sean Connery, I would say, paved the way for dragon voices. <laughs> but I love Dragonheart because the whole premise is Dennis Quaid, you know, he's the last of the dragon hunters. I know, so what a weird dragon hunter. That's a, That was strange casting yeah, right there. Very much so. So Dennis Quaid teams up with Sean Connery's dragon, and they go from town to town and basically like, hey, running the game of, we're going to put out these fires that we started for a small fee. So Yeah, I <laughs> He would have the dragon go in, wreck up the town, and then come in and clean up. They were con men. It was great. It is a great movie. But yes, I, I enjoy a, a town wrecking dragon as well. <laughs> Makes me wonder if Tiamat would get into get into any sort of goddess level cons. But now we should go deep. Instead of flying through the skies, we should go underground. Maybe. Under underground into the dungeon. That's what Wikipedia says. Wikipedia says, A dungeon is a room or cell in which prisoners are held, especially underground. Especially underground. Quote, unquote. Although I don't think my dungeon's underground. <laughs> oh, it is. Never mind. Really? Your dungeon's... So what is your dungeon, Mikey? My dungeon. I'll start it off first again. Uh, you went with a sort of classic D&D dragon. I, mm-hmm. For my dungeon, I went that way as well. I went with an old dungeon that comes from... 
basic or I guess advanced early D&D, but written by Gary Gygax himself. Mm. My favorite dungeon is the Tomb of Horrors. Oh, so that's a module, right? It is a module, yes. And technically, you you could be nitpicky and not call it a dungeon because it is, I guess, somebody's lair and not necessarily a prison. But for the reason it was designed, it's very much dungeony. It was. It's if Gygax was right, and those were the early days of Gygax. So he's all most of most of his modules are dungeon crawls. Yeah, what we call dungeon crawls. Yep. But the reason I love the Tomb of Horrors is because this one was specifically written to be hell in the form of a module. Like, to test players, can't be one, would cause madness, would cause fights. It is intentionally written to be extremely difficult and hard to survive. If you're familiar with the Dark Souls games or the Bloodborne series games, I think they're all the rage now where you die like every 10 seconds. That principle basically came from Gary Gygax's Tomb of Horrors. So The whole premise is that your party quest is tasked with finding this Lich King and you find out that he resides at the bottom of his lair and then you go discover the lair only to realize that he planned for somebody to come disturb his slumber and so he rigged his whole lair up with false doors, false floors, traps, illusions, poisons, enemies, like spike pits. It's one of those things where like you have to sort of plan out your route and then die and figure it out that's the wrong way, and then so do it again and go the other way and realize that's the wrong way and die again, and then go back into it with your third character and see if you can go a couple more floors down. It is a nightmare. That is, it's like the mother of all dungeon crawls. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it was specifically written by Gygax to be like, I'm going to make some nerds mad. And so <laughs> that, that gets points for me to be like, yeah, this game is fun. It can do so much, but now I'm going to stress your sanity and your patience level. So... So there are times when you have to put the joystick up and down and left and right, and yeah. then he still turns into a skeleton after getting burned by fire. Very much, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like Dragon's Lair, the game. Very much so. Like you have to do the action move, and if you do it wrong, like here, okay, here's a small example. But with the setup of this module, each member in the party gets a like a nine foot bow staff, just a a stick of wood that okay. you're supposed to carry with you. It, it it's offered no significance, never really given any like sort of description. But you need it to set off traps. If you lose that stick halfway through the module, you have a real hard time of completing it without because then you're left to sort of like test for traps or sense for traps, and that just always leads to failure. (laughs) So (laughs) a little thing like a stick being a requirement to make it down to the very bottom is hilarious. Man, okay. Uh, I I know our game group is looking for something to do. Yep, I I think we should dust that off. Oh, it's a bla- they they've updated it for five e, so you don't have to stick to the old module. They've updated it for the like current rules and all that, but it's still the same recommendation. They say that if you're gonna sit down and play it as a one shot, everybody in the group should have like three or four character sheets and just be ready to plow oh, through. That sounds like fun. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome. If you're in the mood for traps and and tricks and trying to stay alive, the Tomb of Horrors is your location. That's great. Going classic. I've never yeah. played that module before. I want to now, though, for sure. I've played it once and didn't complete it, but it was fun burning through characters. As long as you know that going in, you know. If you were like, oh, we're going to have a fun party quest. Like, why can't I survive? No. <laughs> That's great. Yep. I love multiple character games. I've done a few of those where the GM, the DM's just like, you're going to die, so make a couple, <laughs> make a couple characters. This one's going to hurt, so get ready for it. 
So for my dungeon, I picked, well, this is also kind of not a dungeon, but it is a dungeon because it has an underground part. There you go. Of it that I recall. But I I went to movies like you went to movies for your dragon. There we go. I thought right away of the movie Labyrinth. Labyrinth, a classic. Another one. We're, we're hitting all the high points today. The 1986 Jim Henson directed Terry Jones written film starring Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie. And a tiny puppet dog and a tiny puppet giant. Or a giant puppet. Oh, things from the creature? What do you call it? The creature shop? Creature shop, yep. Jim yeah. Henson's creature shop. Okay, so, Mikey. Yes. Did you know that that movie was a box office failure? A box office failure. All I know about Labyrinth is that people love that movie. Exactly. So yeah. when I heard it was a box office failure, WTF yeah. hit me straight in the face. <laughs> that emoji popped out. I was like, what? what? No way. That is surprising. I had no idea. No, because, so what are we talking about? 86? Yep. So I'm 12 when this movie comes. This movie was made for me. <laughs> right I mean, in real house. It's Jim Henson. I love all his stuff. Terry Jones, one of the pythons. Not not Terry Gilliam, I was Terry Jones. Okay. The other the other Terry. The other Terry and Monty Python. I love Monty Python. Yep. So you got that there. Then you got the wonderful Jennifer Connelly. Mm-hmm. Age appropriate at the time for me. Don't think I'm weird. <laughs> And still wondering that she's married to Vision now, right? Yep. <laughs> and and it, it's it's just so like for a nerdy twelve year old. Yes, you're watching this movie. There's this beautiful girl who is also so very nerdy. Yep. She's into this Goblin King story, and she's she's out in the. She's basically cosplaying out in the park with her dog that she named Merlin. Come on. <laughs> it's like, it's like this is my dream girl right here. Written specifically for nerd 12-year-old boys all across the world. So, and okay, I'm not spoiler alert for this old If you haven't seen Labyrinth, turn off the podcast and go see Labyrinth right now. Yeah, you missed your chance. You should have gone and seen it in the theater, apparently. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, well, it was so... It, I. I adore this movie as as soon as it was age appropriate for my boys to watch it where yep. the things wouldn't scare them. We've watched it multiple times. But what were you going to spoil? Oh, no, just the story. I was just oh, going to okay. say the story because basically the story of it. Yes. And so, But this would probably be in the trailer. But basically, Jennifer Connelly's character, whose name is Sarah, I mm-hmm. believe, uh, she she has to babysit her little infant brother. Mm-hmm. I think it's a stepbrother, actually. I think so. I think. And they, her, one of her parents gave the, the, the baby her teddy bear, like her teddy bear, Lancelot, I believe, is the bear. And, That's a no-no. And so she got mad, and she didn't want to have to babysit the kid, and he's <laughs> screaming. So she's like, I wish the Goblin King would take you away. And because it's a wonderful fantasy movie, that wish happens. Wish granted. And then she has to go rescue her brother yeah, from the Goblin King, played by David Bowie so well. So... I was, uh, you know, we like to do research on this podcast when we're doing stuff. We use a lot of Wikipedia and other stuff. The Wikipedia entry on Labyrinth is exhaustive. It is so, there's so much here. It just proves that this became such a cult movie. Box office failure be damned. Oh, yeah, if it has that much. This this movie, and what's interesting is I even reading in here, Jim Henson's son's Brian Brian Henson, Mm -hmm. he said that his father was really disappointed that it didn't do well. Because I guess Dark Crystal didn't do all that well either, which is also crazy. That is that is crazy. And 
he said one of the things that gives him some relief in life is that before his father passed away, he saw or knew or was aware of how cult popular those two movies had become. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're still part of memes and stuff on the internet, so that's standing the test of time. It's greatness. So the labyrinth is the dungeon. Obviously, for me, that 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 <laughs> if if you've ever played D anD D or any of these fantasy role playing games, yep. her journey through the labyrinth is a classic dungeon crawl. Yeah, coming across um, characters like Hoggle, that those <laughs> those little characters to help you out. Hoggle and and what's it? Big guy's name is Ludo, right? Ludo said, "Yeah, it's just there's so much greatness in this, and how can it not be with with the with the talent that's in it yep. and and." It's so so good. So here's here's some fun facts. We all it's great. We know the <laughs> labyrinth is my dungeon. So I just want to tell you some fun facts that I found. Yes. So did you know they and they list in Wikipedia everyone who auditioned for the role of Sarah Jennifer Connelly's role? Oh, okay. And the list is like it's almost like this movie couldn't have been bad. With the listen, yeah, because Jennifer Connelly did a great job, especially for being a young actress. Helena Bonham Carter, (laughs) awesome. Jane Krakowski, yep. Yasmin (laughs) Bleef, there's a name. Sarah Jessica Parker, okay. Marissa Tomei, yeah. Laura Dern, yep. Ali Sheedy, oh, Mia Sarah, okay. That's like Murderers Row of eighties teen actresses. It really is. I would I would buy Ali Sheedy more as a nerdy twelve year old girl than I think of right. Jennifer Connelly, but even still, that's it, sort of right. It there. said that she was one of the um, le- leading candidates until okay. they ran into Jennifer Connelly, and I guess she just won it like as soon as Jim Henson saw her. It was like, bam! That's awesome. That's my Sarah. <laughs> so, that's, it, so was David Bowie always the consideration for the Goblin King then? Because he like smashed that part. So Jim Henson always wanted some someone with that kind of charisma dynamic. So he was thinking of a pop music star. Oh, cool. So he was thinking of who acts in that. So he was thinking Mick Jagger. There you go. He was thinking of Sting. Okay. He was yeah, thinking of Prince. Okay. And, and even Michael Jackson. Oh. So, but he settled on David Bowie, and he said he kind of settled on David Bowie because the whole, this movie's basically supposed to be about going into womanhood from a child to a woman oh. from um, children responsibility to adult responsibilities. It's blowing my mind right now. So David Bowie as the Goblin King is supposed to represent the adult world. Uh-huh. And he said David Bowie has that kind of that kind of charisma, that kind of almost that kind of dangerous sexuality and just that just what I can I I would buy that for sure. How a kid sees adulthood yeah as this like mystifying but still attractive but but weird and that cod piece (laughs) all right so i can see that david bowie does have that kingly darkness to him and also too what's neat is they were talking about doing a sequel of it they were talking about doing a reboot of it and it's real interesting because it's kind of like when we're talking about buffy yeah that it has such a cult following that as soon as they started to announce this stuff, people flipped out yeah. because they don't want a remake of this movie because to them it's perfect. Yeah. So Ain't broke, don't fix it. So what? They've, they've kind of shifted kind of like it seemed like they might have shifted a little bit in Buffy. Okay. And now they're talking about doing something in that world of the Goblin King, that other world that she goes to. It would be set in that world, but it wouldn't really have to do anything with 
Interesting. Sarah and the Goblin King and Labyrinth and all that stuff. This is an impromptu, off the top of your head question, but if you had to pick a pop star or like rock god to take over the David Bowie role now, wow. do you think you could think of one? You know, what's interesting is I don't know if the way the music scene is right now, yeah. we have anybody like that. Justin Timberlake. You, <laughs> no, just, well, no. I mean, uh, JT can do about anything in my true. mind. So, but you're right. He is that. He is that kind of level of yeah. a standout. Yeah. But he's not. He doesn't have that. That kind of danger. Yep. You'd almost have to just do almost like a. You'd have to do a thing like how Rami Malek did Freddie Mercury, or you'd almost have to find one of those actors who who could inhabit that kind yeah. of bring that David Bowie Bowie yeah. like thing. Because I really don't. That was a. He's one of those one of a kind superstars that. Yeah. That I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's a modern David Bowie. I don't think there's a nope. modern Mick Jagger. Nope. They're all um, icons for a reason. So yeah, I mean Justin Timberlake is <laughs> it's weird to even say that because he kind of pales in comparison to those guys oh, as true. as good as he is. Yeah. No offense, JT. <laughs> I know you are a great fan of our podcast. <laughs> you brought sexy back. You did enough. You're fine. You don't have to take over David Bowie. We can get Post Malone. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> you could probably find, but speaking of pop stars taking over David Bowie's role, you could probably find somebody that now has the free time to learn contact juggling because that's the only trivia I know about Labyrinth is that David Bowie did all of his stuff except for that contact juggling where he's like juggling the crystal ball. Yeah. They actually got like the most famous contact juggler of the time. I want to say like Michael Collins. I don't know what his real name is without looking it up, but... All the Why did you say Michael Collins then? I don't know. It's it, it, it's something like that. I want to see how close I am. Somebody can tell me. It's like you're way off. That's fine. <laughs> but it's it 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 was the famous contact juggler for the time, and they just sort of did hand shots for him, and then cut to David Bowie like holding them and just back and forth. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was funny. That that was where his magic was, right? And those. Yep. Yeah. That and his magic dance. His magic dance. Yeah, and David Bowie did all the music to it as yeah. well. That was part of the. Uh, Kind of part of the deal to get him on board. Oh, there you go. Was it that he got to do part of the music? He did all the music. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, yeah. I didn't know that was part of the deal, though. Props to David Bowie. You're even cooler than I thought in the first place. So that is super excellent. So you guys got a couple movies to go watch now. (laughs) Go ahead and uh, find a copy of Labyrinth. Find a copy of NeverEnding Story. Yep. Watch those things. Go play some old D&D modules with Tiamat and the Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. Maybe put them both together. Oh, right? my God. That would be hard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that'd be hard. Instead but of a lich at the bottom, you come across a five-headed uh, dragon. Across Tiamat. Screaming. Oh, that'd be... Wow. I almost want to run it now. There you go. None of our friends can listen to this episode. Do you think pizza gets delivered to a dungeon? Like, if we were trapped in a dungeon right now, do you think pizza would get delivered to a... Depends on what level the pizza man is. <laughs> That's true. (laughs) Come on, high-level pizza man. Bring us our goods. So (laughs) our pizza is here delivered by like a level two pizza guy because it's just the studio here. (laughs) But (laughs) we want to thank everyone for continuing to listen to the Assuming Positions podcast. Yes. Uh, You can find us on all the social medias at AssumingPod. You can Gmail us, assumingpositions at gmail.com. We want to thank Jazzar for our music. We want to thank that guy for doing our announcing. And we want to thank you for listening to our podcast. See you later.
Microphone check. One, two. What is this? Hello? Hello? Is everything good? Everything's good. You got me? I believe so. Okie dokie dookie. Nice and liquidy. Don't call me dookie. 